0: What a beautiful thing to proclaim about our God. Feel free to go ahead and take a seat. I don't really want to be here talking. I kind of want to just keep singing about the the goodness of our God. I hope if you you leave here today, if you leave with anything, know that, that God is good and that he loves you deeply. Uh, For those of you that are new with us, my name is Landon, and I'm the pastor here at Restoration Church, and we are in the midst of a a series we're calling Streams, and the idea behind this series is that there's certain places in the scriptures, um, certain practices or, or lifestyles, areas, rhythms in life where God says, I can be found here. You will, you will find me, you will seek me and find me when you come to these places, when you try these things, when you do this. And so recognizing that our God is good, we're trying to present before you the areas, the places, the practices where God says, come here. If you want to experience me and transformation that leads to being human the way we are made to be and what life will one day be like when Jesus comes down and heaven and earth collide and he reigns on earth as king, God says, come to these places, do this. And so we've talked about repentance, we've talked about collaboration with the city, about hospitality, about listening to God's word. And today, we're going to talk about Sabbath. And as you hear the word Sabbath, I'm going to assume there's really one of four reactions you might have. The the first is like, Sabbath, that's old. I'm going to disregard that. That doesn't have any place anymore. That used to be important and isn't now, so maybe you disregard it. Maybe you hear Sabbath and there's this kind of feeling of confusion. Like, what is Sabbath? It's a a good question. Or maybe some of you grew up in a a church or religious atmosphere where, where the word Sabbath actually instills a little bit of fear because of legalism. I was speaking with a friend this week who, who shared that for him growing up, Sabbath in his church was everything, so much so that it painted this, this really terrible picture of who God is to the point that he thought if he bought something or, or did something he wasn't supposed to do on the Sabbath day, he was going to go to hell. That's not good. That's not a picture of who our God is and his grace and mercy. And, and so there's, there's kind of this tension with this word sabbath. On one hand, we could we could swing the pendulum and go, "Hey, we want to avoid legalism and this abusive nature we sometimes bring to religion, like my friend kind of endured growing up, and so we're going to have nothing to do with it." And we'll neglect it. Or on the other hand, we could dive into it too much and not really understand it as a gift from God. That has nothing to do with salvation, but it's actually a gift from him. It's really fascinating that the scriptures actually say That one of the main reasons God's people, the nation of Israel, his descendants, walk away from the faith and rebel and experience all kinds of devastation and destruction. The scriptures say one of the main reasons that happens is because they neglect the gift of Sabbath God gave them. It's really intriguing. I think of maybe all of the commands God gives us or instruction he gives us, Sabbath might be the one we ignore the most. And actually, I'm going to kind of make the argument today. I think we work really hard to ignore Sabbath, to justify not embracing Sabbath, to actually run away from it. And I think Satan and his deceit and lies is really behind it. And so, what we're going to do this morning is spend time just really answering questions about Sabbath. First, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 20, verses 4 through 31. We will uh, look at why Sabbath actually matters. Um, we'll spend a few minutes there. Then we're going to turn to Genesis, where, where Sabbath was created and given as a gift first. And we'll talk about what Sabbath is. And then we'll kind of get practical and go, how do we actually practice this thing if indeed we believe we're, uh, we're supposed to? Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 4 through 31. Here, here's what we're going to see before I read this To you, There's going to be a pattern in this passage. Here's the context. This is kind of like a a window back in time for God's people. God's going to speak to them because they're being exiled. They're being taken from their home because things didn't go well and they didn't listen to God. They're being disciplined out of love by God. And so what God is doing is really presenting before his people saying, hey, how did we get here? Let's have a learning moment. And so he, he takes them all the way back in their history to Egypt, where they were slaves and experiencing uh, abuse and violence and barely surviving, where they cried out to God for mercy. And he says, I brought you out of that. Because of me and my name and my love, I took you from slavery. And then he says, I promised you this beautiful land. We'll read that he searched all of the lands. And he found what was the best, what was good, and he gave it to them. And then not only that, but in the midst of a culture... Where where all the nations had tons of different gods and never knew what the gods wanted from them to the point that in order to get rain, to have crops, to get food, to survive, that the people of the nations around the world at the time this was written would sacrifice their own children. Not because the gods told them to, but just out of guesswork. Like we don't know what will appease the gods, so we're going to try anything in the midst of a drought to get the gods to be appeased and to allow us to survive. And then in the midst of that chaos... And, and ugliness and brokenness, God goes, as I give you this promised land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's rich, it's fruitful, I'm also going to give you my law as a gift. See, oftentimes we, we perceive the law as all these rules God's going to use as a test to, to know who he can let into heaven and send to hell. And that's not what it is. It's actually this gift from God in the midst of a world where the rest of the gods didn't say anything. Figure that and he goes, no, here's my expectation for you. I'm going to give you clarity as a gift. And here's how life will work best, how, how, how marriage will go well and parenting and business, how to treat foreigners. He, he gives it all to them. He gives clarity, a lot of it. And it would have been received as a gift. It was good. It was unique. And then God does something crazy. He says, and then there's this thing called Sabbath in the midst of it. Because God recognized that after sin, entered the world, Satan lies and deceives. And our natural trajectory, for the people that we're going to read about in Ezekiel and for us, we have similar stories, they parallel. Our natural trajectory is to walk away from God. We don't naturally move towards God. We move away from him, and God knows that. And so he gives us this thing called Sabbath as a gift that in the midst of falling off track, going the wrong way, doing the wrong things, and and experiencing pain from it, he says, Sabbath is this kind of gift That's a course correction. It's going to bring you back to me and to what is good and what is right and what is whole in the midst of a world that's trying to take you away from me. And then we'll see a pattern. Here's the pattern we're going to read in the next 17, what is that, 27 verses. I'm not good at math on Sunday mornings. God says, here's a beautiful and good land. But there's danger, potential danger that will turn into real destruction if you're not careful. And here's a gift of Sabbath that will protect you from it. And then they don't. And they experience devastation and destruction. And then to the next generation, he's going to say, hey, here's a beautiful land, a beautiful way of life I'm going to give you. But there's potential danger that will turn into real destruction if you're not careful. So here's a gift of Sabbath to give you life and rest and hope and to bring you back to me and to protect you from it. And then they don't, and it's devastating. And by the end, what we'll see is God's people haven't listened Again and again and again, generation after generation. And he's actually going to say like seven or eight times as we read this, you profaned the Sabbath. You neglected it. And because of that, you weren't protected from these devastating dangers. And they actually started sacrificing their own children and doing all kinds of hideous things. It was devastating because they walked away from God. That's our natural trajectory. Let's go ahead and read this. And again, as we're reading it, we're looking for why does Sabbath actually matter? Explain the detestable practices of their fathers to them, Yahweh God says to Ezekiel. Say to them, this nation, this is what the Lord God says. On the day I chose Israel as my people, I swore an oath to the descendants of Jacob's house and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am Yahweh your God. And on that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey the most beautiful of all lands. Here's the first part of our our pattern, right? God searches out. He finds the best and he says, here you go as a gift. I heard your cries in Egypt as slaves and I want to give you something that is good because God is good and he's the giver of all that is good like we just sang. The most beautiful of lands... I also said to them, each of you must throw away the detestable things that are before your eyes and not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. I'm going to give you this beautiful, good land and beautiful, good life. But no, there's potential dangers and destruction around you. So get rid of those other idols of following other gods. Verse 8. This is the first generation, those who were brought out of Egypt, but they rebelled against me and were unwilling to listen to me none of them threw any of the detestable things that were before their eyes threw away the detestable things that were before their eyes and they did not forsake the idols of egypt so i considered pouring out my wrath on them exhausting my anger against them within the land of egypt but i acted because of my name I remember his name represents grace mercy forgiveness faithfulness abounding love and justice So because of his name, because of his character, he has mercy, exhausting my anger against them. But I acted because of my name. I thought about it, but I didn't because he's a merciful God. And he says the reason he did it is so that my name would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations that were living among them. In whose sight I had made myself known to Israel by bringing them out of Egypt. So I brought them out of the land of Egypt, verse 10, and led them into the wilderness. We're still with the first generation. Then I gave them, okay, here's the law, that's a gift, my statutes and explained my ordinances to them. God's saying, there's not going to be guesswork for you. Don't go sacrificing your children and doing crazy things. Here's what life should look like. I'm going to give you clarity. I gave them my statutes and explained my ordinances to them. The person who does them will live by them. I also gave them my Sabbaths to serve as a sign between me and them. So they will know that I am Yahweh who sets them apart as holy. So they will know what is good and right and whole and pure. So they won't walk in the natural trajectory away from God towards things that are detestable, but rather would have this moment of course correction once a week. Because we need it at least once a week to come back and say God is the definer of what is good. And in the midst of busyness and chaos and anxiety and striving for what is next, God's usually one of the first things to go. But we live in a culture where we're busy, where we want to produce things, where our lives depend on it. We've got mortgages and car payments and and things we want to build and buy and do, so we're constantly striving. And as we constantly strive and we miss this 24-hour period of time, we neglect God. And when we neglect God, the scriptures say the results eventually will be devastating They did not follow my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances. The person who does them will live by them. They also completely profaned my Sabbaths. So again, here's God's character. I considered pouring out my wrath on them in the wilderness to put an end to them. But because of who he is, I acted because of my name so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations. God even wants all nations, all people to know who he is. However, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land I had given them. They weren't ready. They didn't have the maturity, the most beautiful of all lands, flowing with milk and honey, because they rejected my ordinances, profaned my Sabbaths, and did not follow my statutes. For their hearts went after their idols, but I spared them from destruction and did not bring them to an end in the wilderness. That's the end of generation one. Now we move to generation two. Then I said to their children, It's important for us to learn from our parents. Don't follow the statutes of your fathers. Defile yourselves with their idols or keep their ordinances. I am Yahweh your God. Follow my statutes. Keep my ordinances and practice them. You'd think that would be enough. Just listen to what I said because it's good. But it's not. And God knows that we're slow to listen and that we are quick to walk away from him. So again, God's recounting this history. He reminds them in verse 20. Keep my Sabbaths holy. This is a little bit crazy to me personally, both for Israel For myself and for us as a church and a people following Jesus, we work really, really hard. Though God presents Sabbath again and again throughout Old and New Testament, really, we work really hard to ignore it. Like really hard to say, no, this doesn't matter. Verse 20, keep my Sabbaths holy and they will be a sign between me and you. They will protect you and keep you safe so that you know that I am Yahweh, your God but the children rebelled against me they did not follow my statutes or carefully keep my ordinances the person who does not or the person who does them will live by them they also profaned my sabbaths this is the third round we've heard this pattern and then remember god's recounting a history of what's already happened so he continues to tell the story so i considered pouring out my wrath on them and exhausting my anger against them in the wilderness but i withheld my hand and acted because of my name because of his character so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I brought them out. However, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. For they did not practice my ordinances, but rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their fathers' idols. I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances they could not live by when they made every firstborn pass through the fire. They sacrificed their own kids. I defiled them through their gifts in order to devastate them so that they would know that I am Yahweh God. As a loving father, he disciplines, saying, You're heading down a road that will completely and utterly wipe out the entire nation because of this violence and abuse and brokenness. And what's the, what's the reason, or one of the main reasons he lists for Israel walking away? They profaned the Sabbath. They didn't value it. God gives this gift, and they said, Hey, thanks, God, but no thanks. It's pretty funny when we do that. My, my son's birthday was last night, and so people brought different gifts, and we did. And he actually didn't do this last night, but I always laugh when a young kid gets a present and they don't actually want it, and it's this kind of awkward moment. You know what I'm talking about? We're like, oh, cool, where's the next one? Or sometimes they're even more blunt than that and just go, I don't like this. They're like, oh, geez, it's really great, thank you. We do that with God all the time. He, he's given us this gift of Sabbath, and we go, hey, God, this is great. Can I have the next one now? I'm going to forget about that. It's going to get buried deep in the closet. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. There's real potential danger out there, and the potential will turn into real destruction. And so I've given you this gift of Sabbath to protect you because you need protection. Because Satan hates you, and Satan hates me. And the last thing he wants is for you to be with me and to understand my ways and to have a life that is good and whole and true So actually it makes a lot of sense for Satan to really work hard to keep us from Sabbath, which is something we'll continue to talk about. To why Sabbath? I mean, it's literally in the scriptures listed as one of the main reasons God's people fall away. and, And this is interesting. I mean, assess our culture, Christian culture, other churches, churches you've experienced, your friends that are Christians. How many have any concept of Sabbath? kind of fascinating. We've said, this doesn't really matter. Thanks for the gift. I'm going to tuck it away for later. So why Sabbath? I think it matters. It protects us. I want to turn now to Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 31. Just kidding. That was not what we're going to do. Genesis 1, 26 through 2, verse 3. We'll read that together. Here's what it says. So the heavens, excuse me, God blessed them I'm still not on the right page. This is going to be a rough morning. 26, then God said, that's the right spot. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed, this food will be for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very Good. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work and the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Okay, the first thing I want us to understand about Sabbath Because sometimes I think we discount it because Jesus already saved us on the cross, so we might not need Sabbath anymore. Before there was ever a need for Jesus on the cross, before sin was ever an issue, before there was brokenness or pain or injustice or any of that, God gave Sabbath as a gift. There was no pain. There was no hurt. There was no sin. Before that, God says, do this. Have a 24-hour period, because I created you to live, and I created you with a specific rhythm of life, a way that life works best, and it includes this 24-hour period of rest and worship and joy and relationships, of actually looking back at the last six days and looking and seeing that it is good and proclaiming, as God did. We echo him and say, it is good because you are good. Sabbath is important because it protects us. Rick McKinley puts it this way in his book, Faith for This Moment. Let's actually go back to the first one, if that's all right, Jared. I think I skipped over it earlier. Um, In our modern-day world. Should be like the second slide. There we go. In our modern-day world... We are what we make of ourselves. It's the American dream. But in God's family, we are because he made us so. Each person is a bearer of God's image and is worthy of being valued in love. Sabbath is the practice that God continues to use to save his people from the forces of this world. Our trajectory is away from God, and God gives this gift to protect us from the things that are drawing us away. So what is Sabbath? First and foremost, it is rest and worship. First and foremost, it's rest from work. On the the seventh day, God rested. And we need to have this kind of delineation, this uh, understanding about rest. Sabbath is not your day off from work. Meaning, Sabbath is not simply or merely the day that you don't work for your employer or your place of work, your vocation. Because chances are, on the day that you don't work for your employer, you're probably still working. You just don't get paid for it. You're paying the bills, you're taking care of the house, you're working on whatever needs done, you're maintaining things, you're dealing with the stuff in your life, you're working very clearly. You're just not working for your employer. So you're not actually resting, maybe. You're just resting from what you call work, as in the work that you do for an employer or to get the paycheck or whatever it is. Sabbath is different than that. It's more. It's not as much about checking out of the world as it is about checking into what is good that God has created. First, Sabbath is rest. Second, Sabbath is worship. And by worship, I really mean storytelling. Storytelling is one of the ways that I think of worship. It's not just music as we sing songs. What makes musical worship on on Sunday, what makes music worship on Sunday, is the fact that we're actually telling a story. Now, we're using song to guide us through that, and it's beautiful and excellent, which is a part of worship, but what we're actually doing is telling a story. We're saying, God, you are good and you are never going to let me down. We're telling a story. We're worshiping. And the whole day of Sabbath, this 24 hour period of time, is actually to, to tell the true story of the world. Rick McKinley, in the same book, Faith for This Moment, uh, puts it this way We are constantly trying to get ahead ceaselessly striving for more. I don't know if you feel that way in life. But Sabbath is about getting off of the treadmill of striving in order to retell ourselves God's story of who we are or whose we are and whose world we are living in. It's this one day of the week where we stop the constant running and striving and going and production. We stop producing. We get off the treadmill for long enough to take a deep breath and go, what's going on around me? What's actually happening in the world? Because I've been so busy going and striving and grinding and working that sometimes we lose sight of it. And if we lose sight of who God is for long enough, the potential dangers become real devastation and destruction in the forms of marriages, parenting, anxiety, depression, all kinds of issues in our society because we go, go, go. And actually what we're told is don't stop. If you just get to the next phase or step, if you just, this one last thing, if you just get it done, then you'll finally find a a season of peace, of rest. But have you noticed? You get that thing done, and then a new one is born. And somehow, miraculously, the new one, it's just as important, if not more so, than the last. And so we're on this ever elusive journey for the next thing, and we never stop. Here's a clue for all of us, myself, first and foremost. You're never going to get there. That next thing doesn't matter. It will be there the next day. God says, stop, because I'm God and you're not. And tomorrow, even if you rest today, I've got the world in my hand, and it'll keep spinning on the axis it needs to. You can't control it anyway. So stop and tell yourself the story of who I am and what I'm doing. Sabbath is rest and worship. The, The next thing we need to understand about Sabbath is that Sabbath is a day A 24-hour period of time, if you will. It doesn't really matter when those 24 hours fall in your week. They should be consecutive, I think. That's best. Just to see the world differently. I don't know all of you that well. I know many of you. Some of you very well. Some of you not. But my guess is you, you go through life six days a week, maybe seven, with a certain perspective, a set of glasses that you see the world through. And my guess is that the perspective you see life with most of the time includes a lot of exhaustion, being tired, being overwhelmed. It has a ton to do with your to-do list. Like the to-do list is probably the first thing you see. What all do I need to get done today, later today, tonight, tomorrow, this week, next week, five years, ten years? You're thinking, and then you see a lot of brokenness too. There's real pain and hurt and and sorrow in this world, and you see that. And those are real things. But the Sabbath day is this beautiful 24-hour period of time where we take those glasses off and we're not pretending that, that the world isn't hard and that there's a to-do list and that there's brokenness. We're not saying that doesn't exist. But what we're doing is we're going to set those glasses down and we're going to grab a new pair, a Sabbath pair of glasses, and as we look out on the world with these glasses, with this perspective for 24 hours, we're not pretending there's not hard stuff, but we're just going to focus differently. We're going to strive to see what is good because guess what? hard stuff will be there tomorrow the questions will be there tomorrow the to-do list will be there tomorrow and the world will still keep spinning so God says one day a week stop trying to be God stop trying to have it all together and figure it all out put on a different pair of glasses and just look out and see it is good on the seventh day he stopped he rested and he said it is good this 24-hour this period of time, it's almost like a biblical version of Hakuna Matata. So there's no worries. Now, there are, and they will be there tomorrow. We're not saying that. But we're going to stop for this day and go, yep, I know. But today is a day to focus on, to tell the story of how good God is and the fact that he's coming again. And when he does, only good will remain. All brokenness will be restored to beautiful. So one day a week for 24 hours, we're not pretending the other stuff doesn't exist, but we're going to focus on and worship the creator of all that is good. John Mark Comer in his book, Garden City, um, it's a book I highly, highly recommend, has a lot to say about Sabbath. and, And he explains some of this. He says this, Sabbath isn't just a day to not work. It's a day to delight in what one Hebrew poet called the work of our hands, cultivation. To delight in the life you've carved out in partnership with God, to delight in the world around you, and to delight in God himself. Sabbath is a day to pull up a chair, sink into it, look back over the work of the last six days, and just enjoy. Here's the crazy part. Doesn't that sound good? Like, that sounds good, but we come up with a million reasons, and they're good reasons. We come up with a million reasons not to do this. And you have to go, why do we work so hard to run away from this gift God has offered? That actually sounds good. Something's not adding up. Something's not making sense with this. The next thing we see in Genesis 2, verse 3, is that Sabbath is blessed and holy. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Sabbath is blessed and holy. John Mark Comer explains the holiness of the Sabbath day in this way. And and know this. This is kind of the precursor to this quote. Uh, In regards to Sabbath is the first time that the Bible uses the word holy. So it's really setting the tone for what holiness means. In regards to it being the first time, John Mark Comer says, this is intriguing. You would think that after creating the world, God would make a holy space, a mountain or a temple or a shrine. After all, every other religion has a holy space. Islam has Mecca. Hinduism has the Ganges River. Paganism has Stonehenge. Baseball has Wrigley Field. But this God doesn't have a holy space. He has a holy time, the Sabbath. This God isn't found in the world of space, in a temple, on top of a mountain, on a spring, around a statue or a monument, though that's often how we approach him. He's found in the world of time. Heschel says the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. There is a hierarchy to time. Not all moments are created equal. Some moments are much, much better than others. Sabbath, this 24-hour window of time is holy. It's set apart as a gift to us. And then here's the other word that it is. It's blessed. Think about that. The God of the universe, the maker of all that is good, says that this 24-hour period of time, window of time, is blessed. And he's not referring necessarily to like a certain day, a certain time, but finding a 24-hour period of time. He blesses it. He says, this is a blessed day. Here's what God is saying. Not only is it a holy gift set apart to you, where I am, he's promising you will find me there. Not only that, it will be good. Like, we oftentimes want that from God, don't we? Go, God, where are you? What are you doing Can you just give me a little grace, a little blessing, a little something? And you know what he says? Yeah, I've been trying to, but you keep running away from it because I've set apart this period of time as holy, so come be with me. Enjoy what is good. Yeah, there's problems, there's issues, and they're going to be there tomorrow. So for this one day, don't worry about it. Let me be God because I'm God and I'm good at it. I'll take care of it and just enjoy what I've made. Find something that's good. I have a friend that was telling me this week that her husband doesn't really like her job, his job, excuse me. And so every morning she tells him, hey, find two good things about work today. There's going to be all kinds of brokenness and things you don't like, and it's hard and annoying, and the boss isn't great, whatever. That's real. That'll be there. Just find two good things. That's what Sabbath is in the midst of a broken world, which it is. God is still the creator of what is good, and he's redeeming and restoring it. Sabbath is blessed and holy. Next, Sabbath is evangelism. In the midst of a world, like you just turn on the news, filled with anxiety and deep depression and mental health issues, exhaustion, just not knowing what to do. Like our world's exhausted. Our culture's exhausted. Sabbath is actually evangelism. It's saying the world is not dependent on us. We're actually going to take a whole day off of work. From this, this slavery, if you will, this entrapment of always having to have the next thing. Of working so hard to have the next paycheck to take care of the stuff I've worked so hard to get and want. And then I'm going to buy more and I continue in this cycle and I can't rest. And in the midst of that culture, being on this treadmill, running as fast as we can, barely hanging on. Doesn't that feel how a lot of our culture is? Just barely hanging on. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Just barely hanging on. Doesn't it sound refreshing to just jump off the treadmill and to go, I'm going to enjoy what is good. There's a lot that's hard. But for one day, I'm going to not worry about it. I'm going to say, God, this is yours. You told me to give it to you. And I'm going to focus on what is good because you are good. And you're making everything good again. Rick McKinley, he's a pastor in Portland. And in this book I've quoted a little bit, Faith for This Moment, explains how, how Sabbath is evangelism. says this in a world of 24 hour cycles and pressure to keep up our social media presence disappearing for a whole day feels like treason to the way things are but sabbath is good news to those looking in from the outside our culture leaves everyone weary not just the people of god Anxiety over not having or being all that culture tells us we should have or be produces an exhausting existence. People are tired and their children are tired. The pressure is soul-crushing. Sabbath-keeping people evangelize by keeping Sabbath holy. We share good news about our good God who has given us rest in Jesus. We don't need someone to graduate from college to have a party. We get to dance and sing and feast simply because God invites us into his Sabbath party once a week. Everyone wants to get his or herself back. A cursory glance at self-help blogs and mindfulness practices tells us that people are thirsty and looking for a way to find refreshment for their souls. Sabbath is the announcement that God has given us a better way of being human. When we practice Sabbath, we invite our neighbors into the blessing of holy rest that's all built on who Jesus is. Sabbath is rest and worship. Sabbath is blessed and holy. Sabbath is seeing the world in a different light just for 24 hours. Not pretending there's not issues. But we're going to see and declare and echo God, it is good and it will be again. The world desperately needs to hear that. You and I desperately need to hear that and experience this rest that God offers to us. So let's close with how to practice Sabbath. What does that actually look like? We talked about why we need it, a little bit of what Sabbath is. How do we actually practice it? I I would say that Sabbath is more of an art than a science because it's going to be unique to you and your season of life and and your family or friends or whatever your your context and and situation is. And so it's something we simply have to practice. You have to try and adjust and try again. So I'm going to paint a picture for you of my messy approach of attempting Sabbath with my family. And here's the reason I'm going to share what I'm doing with you. Because it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't. I have to make audibles and and change things. And we're just practicing. We're trying to figure it out. So I'm just going to give you that example. Uh, So recently, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when school started, and my girls are in kindergarten now, we had been doing up until that point Sabbath on Monday, a 24-hour period of time. Um, Sunday doesn't work for us because I do this. So... We were doing it on Monday, but school started, so now Monday doesn't work. So recently we switched to Saturday. And so what we'll do is Chelsea bought these candles, and in the morning we'll light the candles when we wake up. If we remember, right, this is a practice. And the rest of the day, those candles, when we look at them, they say something. They say, don't produce. Don't worry about all the stuff. Don't worry about the hard things and the questions. They'll be there tomorrow. When the candles go out, they'll still be there, and God will still be there, and you can deal with them then. Don't produce. Don't worry. So we light the candles. Then we usually get the kids a little snack in the morning because it takes them like seven seconds to get really hangry once they wake up. So we get them a snack. And then we'll go in one of the kids' bedrooms and we do this little corny, cheesy thing called a thankfulness circle. And so we'll all just sit on the floor, me and Chelsea, sometimes our dog Nala, uh, Ellis, our three-year-old, and then the two girls, Siona and Aaliyah. And we'll just, I'll ask them, what are you thankful for? And sometimes it's really goofy and lasts like 90 seconds, and it's just crazy, absurd things. And then sometimes it's good, and it lasts like 15 minutes, and they keep wanting to take turns, and they go, I'm thankful for trees, and I'm thankful for my brother, and my mommy and dad, and my grandma and grandpa, and I'm thankful for the the donuts we get to have on Sunday mornings, and I'm thankful for football, because I've been really hyping that for them the last couple weeks, and all kinds of things. They love football. Their mom's like, what did you do? I bribe them with candy and all kinds of stuff. And so we just go through these lists and and we try to find whatever we can and say, it is good. And then I'll close our time. Again, sometimes it's two minutes, sometimes it's 15. And I'll pray and I'll just say, God, and I'll kind of recap all these things right as we're sitting there. And I'll say, thank you for all of this, this good that you've allowed us to enjoy. It all comes from you. Thank you. And so I'm trying just a little bit at a time to remind myself and to tell my kids and my wife, here's the story. Everything that is good comes From the Father. So today we're going to see it and we're going to declare it and we're going to celebrate it because it is good. And tomorrow will be hard, but today it is good and one day it will be forever. And so today is good. Let's celebrate that. Let's be thankful. It all comes from him. And usually we'll go to a a restaurant and on the way we'll fight about which place we should go to. I told you about that last week. But it's good. We just enjoy a meal and we hang out and we spend time together and there's not a ton of dishes to do. Still a little bit chaotic though around the table. Then we'll come home and, and we'll do a variety of activities. The girls are starting soccer, so I love to just go outside and play soccer with them. And, and Ellis will want to play hide and seek. We play. We just play a lot. We rest. We play. Any moment I can, I try to say, what's good? And just thank God for it throughout the day as often as possible. What's good? We're playing soccer. How cool is it that God let us invent these Dumb sports with balls that we kick into nets. Like, it doesn't even make sense, but it's so fun. And this competition, God, thank you that you created people creatively. Like, this is fun. It's good. Anything we can. Take naps, we talk, we sing, we play. That's just what we do. That's just us, and it's an adjustment. It didn't work yesterday. We weren't able to do a Sabbath day at all. Luckily, on Monday, it's a holiday, so we will, and that's good. It's an adjustment. So you have to understand, for each of you... It's going to look different. There's going to be some seasons you actually just can't Sabbath. It's just an unfortunate reality. And and to you I'd say, how do you work towards finding it? Because it's one thing if you go weeks without it or months. But if all of a sudden you're at years, I don't know, I might read Ezekiel 20 and go, God was pretty clear. Like we stray from him when we don't do this. And it actually gets really painful. So it's probably worth doing, even though, hear me on this. Sabbath is excruciatingly hard in the midst of our culture. Because everything says don't do it and it's not worth it. But before there was any sin, it was good enough for God to create and say, here you go. This is good. You need this. So it's probably good enough now. Here's a a menu. I want to kind of give you a menu just of things you can do to figure out Sabbath for yourself. A couple keys in it. Avoid producing. So anything you're doing that is to produce something try to avoid that. Avoid have-tos. If it's a have-to, it's probably not right for the Sabbath day. No, you're not going to hell if you do it. It's okay. Sabbath and and salvation, there's not a correlation there, but it's a gift from God. And then pick a time frame, whether that's whatever day of the week, maybe Sunday's it, maybe Saturday's it, I don't know. Maybe it's sunset to sunset, or maybe it's sunrise to sunrise. That's what we do. Just pick a time frame, because if you don't pick it, it's impossible. In our culture, we want to do, we want to strive, we want to go. And so unless you actually say, here's the boundary, I'll just tell you now you're not going to do it. Next on this, this menu of items, avoid technology if possible. Here, here's the withdrawals I've had when I embrace Sabbath. I do this. Like three seconds go by. 15. I'm looking again because I want to work, I want to do, I want to just make stuff happen because that's what I've been trained to do my whole life. So it's going to be hard. Avoid technology. Connect with loved ones. Get outside. Go for a hike. Light candles. Share a meal with family or friends. Find silence. Read scriptures. Pray a blessing over your children or one another. Read a psalm. Take a walk. Set aside time to share what you are thankful for. Set aside time to speak what is good. Nap. Read. Enjoy. Play a game. Go to a park. Throw a frisbee. Hang out on a patio outside. Whatever it might be. the idea. It's not, it doesn't have to be crazy, it doesn't have to be legalistic, but go, what is good? What do I enjoy? Do that. Okay, we're going to close with this. I'm still struggling with this logic. Doesn't Sabbath sound good? Hey, we're going to eat. We're going to rest. I'm going to spend time with the people I love. I'm going to not have to go do this work thing that I've been working really hard on for six days, right? Like, doesn't that sound good? We're going to eat the best food we can. We're going to sing songs. We're going to be thankful. We're going to have friends over and throw a party and do whatever. Like, that sounds good, doesn't it? So why do we work so hard to not do this? The other day, uh, my my little three-year-old, as of yesterday, got in trouble because he took something from his sister, and, and, and Chelsea, my wife, goes, hey, you can't do that, and he grabs whatever he had, and he sprints for the dog door. He goes out the dog door, and he starts running in the backyard, and we're chasing him, and we're just dying laughing, and then he thought it was funny, too, but this is what we do. Like, God says, here's a gift, and we go, no thanks, and we are gone, but here's the thing that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Why would we run from this? I want to do a little exercise. Pretend we're all committing to do a 24-hour Sabbath, okay? Pretend you're committing to that. Now, for you personally, you don't have to say this out loud, what are the reasons you can't? Honestly, give you like 20 seconds. What are reasons you can't do a 24-hour Sabbath? I'm sure you got a lot. You're needed for all kinds of things. The ball will get dropped. It'll be overwhelming the next day. What are the reasons you personally and your context with your relationships and your job, you can't do this? What are they? Okay, now here's my next question: Who's telling you you can't? Is it God? Is it you? Is it culture? Is it your employer? Is it is it just a feeling or an expectation? Like who actually is saying no? You can't do this. There's too much to do, or it'll hurt too much. It'll cost too much. My guess is I'm really quite sure. I'm not sure of much in life, but I'm quite sure of this. It's not God. And so here's what I would weigh. Does it make more sense to listen to the God of the universe that created you and said, yeah, you need this 24-hour period of time. It's good. It's good, and it protects you from this world where you naturally move away from me. Does it make more sense to live to that guy, this God, who gave up his life for you on a cross and who's going to restore the world to what his beautiful and good intent is? Does it make more sense to listen to him or to these other voices that say, no, you can't get it? See, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so here's the conclusion for me. I have to think, I have to think that Satan must really strongly believe in the transformational power of Sabbath. That's the only thing that makes sense. Like if it actually sounds good, like I can't think of anyone that that would go, we're not just taking naps on the couch all day. Like you're doing what is good and you enjoy and resting and being with loved ones. Like that sounds good. So why do we run? I can only think that the deceiver who is out prowling like a lion, seeking to deceive and destroy, desperately wants to keep you from Sabbath. Because God said, I am here and it is good and you will experience me in this holy and blessed cathedral of sacred time. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and broken and I will give you rest. Satan's over here saying, you don't have time. You can't do it. You can't afford it. It's never going to happen. So we have a choice to make. Salvation is not dependent on Sabbath. You don't have to embrace a Sabbath. But why in the world would we not? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your gift of Sabbath. Lord, it is uh, so hard to find a 24-hour period of time or a period of time period, let alone 24 hours. To just to rest in who you are, to declare that it is good, to enter into this, this holy space and time. And, and God, for me personally, even as I study this, it just seems so foreign. It's so countercultural. God, we're blinded to the gift that, that Sabbath is. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and to value it because you've said it's valuable. And it's needed and it's good. Protect us. From the, the lies of Satan, provide time, provide the finances, provide whatever is needed, God, for people to, people to embrace this because I know, God, that you will move, you will transform. Health will be found in, in marriages and parenting and society will be better. Husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, citizens, employees, employers will be better. You make that clear. Open our eyes to this, provide a way, guide us. We desperately need you, and you are. Good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we uh, always do, we continue to worship in our response. R- worship is storytelling, right? And as we respond in, in three ways every Sunday, we continue to tell the story. And so in reflection, reflect on the ways, the things that are keeping you from Sabbath. Are they actually good enough reasons to ignore this gift God has given and said is so helpful? What are they that are keeping you from doing this? Are they actually good enough? Are they actually worth it? Second part of the, the story that we tell is when we take communion and we dip the bread into the cup and we recognize that when we are weary and broken and exhausted, Jesus, as creator, savior, and sustainer, said, There is a better way and it's through me. And so you have that through Christ on the cross. Enjoy him in this Sabbath. Recognize that he's with you as you take communion, whether individually or with your family or your community. And then lastly, we re- we worship um, in response as we give. And so there's two boxes for giving in the back of the room, or there's instructions on how to give um, online if you'd prefer to do that. But let's continue to worship now in our response.